Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Jen Plim with Charlotte Smarty Pants. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're talking about the early signs of autism spectrum disorder. Autism is prevalent across the lifespan and our Smarty partners at Child and Family Development work with children and adolescents of all ages. But today we're focusing on toddlers and young children. This age group has better outcomes when they receive early diagnoses and treatment. Joining us is Gretchen Hunter, a licensed psychologist and pediatric neuropsychologist, as well as the clinical supervisor for the psychology and education department at Child and Family Development. Hello. She, she's rocking a lot of titles. Um, also with us, equally important, is Shelly Stoneberg, a board-certified behavior analyst at Child and Family Development, too. She works primarily with young children with autism spectrum disorders and their families, which is what we're focusing on today. So thank you for Hello. being here, you. taking your time out of your day. So let's dive right in and tell us what exactly is autism spectrum disorder. Autism spectrum disorder is a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means it's a disorder with an onset in the developmental period, and it affects social communication, behavioral functioning, and most specifically with restricted or repetitive patterns of behavior. Okay. Um, What is the typical age of diagnosis of this? Um, So we can reliably diagnose as early as two years, um, but oftentimes signs and symptoms are more subtle, and so um, families bring up concerns to their pediatricians in those well-child visits, or um, preschool teachers start to notice difficulty with social behavior. So we often see children ages three, four, or five for their diagnoses. And and it usually falls within that age, Mm -hmm, for sure. mm Mm-hmm. Um, so t- let's break everything down. Like, what, do you, what do you mean with social communication? Um, so social communication is how we use verbal and nonverbal language to communicate with other people. It's how children get their needs met. It's how they form relationships. And it's how they express themselves. Okay. Um, and so what should, ex- what should parents be looking for when it comes to autism spectrum disorder and social communication? So parents should be on the lookout for challenges with nonverbal communication. So this includes uh, delayed use of gestures like pointing or waving or clapping. So kids start to develop simple gestures between one and two, and they start to point to things that they're interested in uh, and to imitate simple actions like waving bye-bye. Okay. And so when we're, um, parents should be also be looking out for difficulty with maintaining eye contact. So a one-year-old should be looking at their parents multiple times every day to um, gauge their um, enjoyment and to share um, things that they're excited about. 
And we're also looking for something called joint attention in young kids where they're shifting back and forth between looking at an object they're interested in and looking at their parent to see what the parent's thinking about. So this, for an example, would be like if you're blowing bubbles, does your child look at you and then look at the right. bubbles and then look back at, at you? Um, children with autism spectrum disorder sometimes have a, a hard time um, uh, shifting away from the object they're really focused on. And so they would only look at the bubbles in okay. that example. Um, parents should also look at uh, limitations for facial expressions. So um, as infants, this can look at as like a delay in social smiling, which if you remember when first they're smiles, very, their yeah. first smiles when they're very young, um, kids can have a hard time developing those social smiles. Um, for toddlers and preschoolers, this could be not showing much expression at all um, or having um, really unusual facial expressions where they're showing kind of the wrong feeling um, and right. facial expression uh, for the wrong, at the wrong time. And then we're also looking for limited giving or showing things to other, uh, to other people Children with autism spectrum disorder may not hold things up or show them to you or bring it over to you to share their interests. They'll just be focused on the toy exclusively. And also kids with autism spectrum disorder may not respond to their name when called. They'll just stay focused on their activity. Do they ever, um, like is there one thing that's more important than the other for these signs or do, are they... Everything does it have to. Do you have to hit every one of them? Um, so certainly, um, we we kids develop at their own um, rate, and we certainly see kids that um, uh, show strengths in some of these and and others. We're really looking for a pattern of behavior if they're really not showing much um, in the the social communication area at all in all of these nonverbal areas. We would have some concerns. Okay, and what about delays in talking? Um, so um, we definitely want uh, families to keep an eye out for delays in talking. So um, for babbling should really start around the uh, baby's first birthday. And then between 12 and 18 months, they should start to imitate and say words. And by 24 months, they should start to put two to four words together. Um, and so if parents have concerns, they often bring them up with their pediatrician and sometimes a referral to a speech language pathologist for delayed language is identified okay. and that okay. can be helpful. And then we're also looking at immediate echolalia, which is repeating words or phrases that other people say. So in a typically developing child, a toddler could repeat words they hear from other people to try to understand language, learn new words, or to clarify um, the last word of a question to see if they right. heard it correctly. A child with autism spectrum disorder could repeat the question um, such as, do you want juice? So if the parent asks the child, do you want juice? The child might say the whole thing back, do you want juice? Or okay. other things that seem um, more scripted than, than um, that what other kids are saying. Okay. Um, what should parents be looking for with regard to all these repetitive behaviors? Like what, what are the key things? Mm. When we are talking about repetitive and restrictive behaviors, we are going to look at interests that are highly specific or unusual. And then we also want to look at behaviors that a child might be engaging in over and over and over again. A lot of times children with autism spectrum disorder are really engaged in the sameness or routine. So when those routines get interrupted, it is very distressing to them. Right, yeah. right. Um, so what, when a parent when they when your child is diagnosed what happens 
first? Like, what are you supposed to do? What resources do parents go to? How, how do, what does that look like? So a, a, the diagnostic, diagnostic process involves um, working with a pediatrician to identify screening concerns, and then a diagnosis is made by either a psychologist doing a standardized battery of social and communication and um, behavioral concerns, or through a developmental pediatrician. And it's a combination of um, parent input through questionnaires, standardized assessment, and really ruling out other conditions that could right. mimic. And then once the diagnosis is confirmed, then um, families are guided to a variety of resources. Um, one of those is applied behavior analysis, which is uh, Shelley's expertise and is, um, I'll, I'll let her say, but is a, a very intensive behavioral treatment to really teach them these things that they're having a hard time learning naturally. And so would you want to go into more? Sure, I'd love that. that. Yeah. Um, so applied behavior analysis is, like Gretchen mentioned, the gold standard treatment for kiddos with autism. We're typically getting these children at two, three, four years of age. Uh, mm -hmm. The intensity is quite a lot. Um, it's typically between 15, 20, 25 hours a week, which wow. can be quite overwhelming that for is. parents. Yeah. But when we look at autism as a whole, there's just a lot for us to cover. So we right, want to cover right. communication, so we're working on talking. We want to cover social skills, so we're working on responding to your name or greeting people or sharing with your peers. And then we're, of course, working on behavior. So if kids have any trouble um, following changes in routine or we have trouble with denied access to our favorite things. So the hours are intensive, but the results tend to be pretty incredible. And um, the earlier that we can identify and start seeing kids, the, the better outcomes that they have. And we yeah. also, um, uh, many kids that are um, diagnosed also need um, other therapies like speech yes. therapy, occupational therapy, or even physical therapy, which may not be top of mind, but are certainly um, uh, very helpful to be able to build their language, help right. them with fine motor skills. A big treatment plan is identified and families are usually very happy to, to get on the right track and try to figure out how to help their kid. It takes a village. Mm -hmm. so. It sounds like it. Yes. So do they, you know, what does their life look like socially and um, kind of throughout the years? You know, like they spend 25 hours in therapy yeah. in the early years. Mm -hmm. And then I would imagine that gets lesser and lesser, sure. correct? Yes, sure. So, um, so we tend to focus on the really intensive hours when kids, Kids are um, between three and five, and then ultimately, the favorite, my favorite part of my job is when our kids go to kindergarten, we say, see yeah, you later, you good go. luck. Um, so we tend to do some reduced hours for you know kindergarten, first, second grade. Right. So we might see a family for caregiver training, and we'll work with siblings, and we'll work with grandparents, and get everyone on the same page, and do a little bit of one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one work with a kid. But then the hope is to ultimately transition them into the school system, and right. for them to excuse me, just have different resources, different uh, pull-out services in school, like speech or OT. And then um, as kids get into adolescent teenage years, a lot of our children end up seeing uh, a counselor like Gretchen or right. someone who's a social worker who really can work with uh, that child about different social difficulties they might be having, say, in middle school or high school. Are there, uh, I know we work with several of the schools, but what what are the local schools and resources that are available to families um, as they enter school age. Yeah. So um, 
public schools can um, provide IEP services, um, provide um, more informal supports in the classroom like um, social skills groups or speech or OT. And then um, there are um, private schools that have specialized programs for um, children with autism spectrum disorder. The, I think the thing that is confusing sometimes that it really is a spectrum. And so the severity level and the right, needs of the right. child can be so different. So a child with very mild symptoms um, may, um, may not need very many services to right. be able to achieve with their mainstream peers. And children with more um, severe symptoms could need uh, more wraparound supports. Right. Um, so, OK, so we talked about the evaluation part in the early stage. What should families do if they suspect that? I mean, I would think that the pediatrician's already picking up on it, and but what if they haven't? And we always want to encourage families to trust their gut. So even right. if your pediatrician you hasn't know. said anything, bring it up and ask. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. The pediatricians are doing standardized screening measures, and if parents are endorsing concerns with my child doesn't seem you know interested in playing with other kids, my child um, is is doing these repetitive behaviors. Um, pediatricians can really make good referrals to say, I need to get you to a specialist who can really talk through these things. There's a lot of mimicking um, um, situations where a child is just really shy or right. has a language delay. And so it's it's important to, um, to try to get the right diagnosis so that you can make sure you're getting them on track. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, okay, so I'm trying to think of what else we have not covered. Is there something that we haven't covered on? I just want to make sure that families get all the information sure. that they need. Um, I obviously do not have experience with this, but I've been around a lot of children who haven't. There's one child who comes to mind who I've watched grow up at Camp Harrison, and um, he's on the spectrum. He is just the light of camp, and <laughs> I've watched him since he was like, six and he's gone to a lot of different schools in charlotte and he's like a little celebrity <laughs> he's in high school now i can't wait to see where he goes to college but um it really it's been fun also to watch um all the other kids grow up well you know all of our kids have grown up in this camp together and and watch them experience his life and how mm -hmm. that pertains to theirs and it's just really really been a gift for my kids he's absolutely hysterical but, um, <laughs> but yeah i feel like camp was a great outlet for him he would go, I feel like he's gone for like a month, young, yeah. really young. And because uh, I'm also a camp mom. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I was just wondering, it was kind of interesting to watch like the structure piece of camp was really good for him. Yeah. And when there were unstructured days, like <laughs> free day Friday, it was like he was like, riding around on the golf cart. That was his structure, you know. So um, it was really, I, you know, I've, my four kids have grown up there and that uh, and some of our friends have grown up across the street. And it's just been so interesting and and a blessing to watch him grow up. But. Mm -hmm. I love to watch your face as you're talking about him because <laughs> I wish that all families had experience mm -hmm. that you're so special that your kids got to grow yeah. up with him and mm -hmm. got to see it. And yes. so one thing that we see with families of really young children is parents are really afraid for their kids to get labeled. Right. Um, and that we don't want this label to stick around with them or limit them. But the it's not a label. It's a really, it's a way for your kid to get the help that they need. Right, and, right. Um, it's awesome to see you as a supporter of this family that that's, yeah. that's the least important thing about him. Um, right. But getting that label mm -hmm. and getting those facts and those therapies is what leads to the awesome outcome that he's had. Yeah. So. Well, and I think, I mean, I've listened in on a lot of the older counselors who in the beginning, it is hard. It's hard yeah. to um, figure out what the best way to communicate or to get him to do what he's supposed to do in times, you know. So 
it was um and it was fun for me too to learn that too because he was he's different you yeah know? he'll come up and he's right there in your space and um and so but I think all of the kids have have recognized quickly how special he is and and if there are other kids who came in who didn't really know him and um they would get really frustrated with him fast but they would quickly correct it you know the other kids seemed to rally around him mm-hmm. and um and and it, he was kind of off limits like you weren't allowed to rag on him and and maybe sometimes he needed to be ragged on a little bit um but anyway it's it's been a really good experience and so i'm glad to share this with with our smarty families um is there anything any other resource or anything that you want to list or um i i think that um I think that if if uh, if families are concerned about um, things, then they should start asking questions. They mm-hmm. should, you know, talk to talk to other parents they trust. They should talk to the preschool teacher about what they're observing in a group setting. Right. You know, they should um, uh, talk to pediatricians and um, and get a sense and to to move forward with with checking on their gut mm-hmm. um, right. if they have a concern because um, it it really can be. Um, so impactful for for kids to get the right things that they need and to see the the progress in in a child with um, uh, who who starts and really after six months of treatment I mean it, it is it is really noteworthy to see how much more right. engaged and expressive, and expressive and... a child can be it's really heartwarming to see kids that have made you know huge progress and so that's really why the early intervention is so helpful is that right it can really make a big difference. And so we don't want to miss any window. Yeah, right. the, the wait and see approach is, I think a lot of parents want to lean into that, but it's just, we just miss these precious, precious months where right. kids are really accessible as their brains are growing and as their personalities are growing and right. um, as their interests are growing. It's just really, really the uh, difference between a kid that we might get at two versus a kid that I see at five or six is, it's really, really huge. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for being here today, ladies. Um, Smarties, you can find Child and Family Development on childandfamilydevelopment.com. They have two locations, convenient all over Charlotte, and on Facebook at Child and Family Development and Instagram at Child and Family DEV. You can find us always daily on charlottesmartypants.com and on social, Facebook and Instagram at charlottesmartypants and Twitter at charlottesmarty. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty Podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottesstarroom.com.